Just to remind you guys, since I haven't been here for a while, um, the Conference of Thessalonians, one of the, it was a very young church. You remember that Paul event um, when he was on the road from Philippi, and when he was shamefully treated, as we remember in Acts 2, 2, how Ricardo was being beaten and thrown out. Um, he went to the Thessalonian church. Um, this is one of the earliest letters from what we know, so um, it's very relevant to our church because, as we remember, the first sermon on this was in chapter 1 when it was about their exemplary response. Uh, so we've been encouraged to remember that although we are a young church, we can respond to the gospel in a similarly exemplary way. In chapter 2, we looked at the type of men, the type of ministers that the apostles and that the apostle Paul in particular and his companions were, uh, how they were courageous, had pure motives, were God-centered, uh, how they had parental love, uh, sacrificial love, and exemplary love. And now we're coming to just this small but profound verse, chapter 13. He's going to read that all for us. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This morning, I want to preach that CRBC would receive the word as it is, as receiving the word as from God. We're going to look at two points, the word of men, as constrained from the word of God, and obviously the word of God. Two things we're going to look at when it comes to the word of men is the limited power it has, because it does have power, it's not powerless, but it is ultimately weak, and how subjective the word of men are, and oftentimes deceptive. In comparison, we have the word of God, which is the standard of truth itself, and is divinely powerful. So that's going to be the first point, word of men. We all know that the word of men can be inspirational. I'm pretty sure if I began to start certain phrases, we do a little experiment right now with certain famous speeches, because you're a cultured people, you would not embarrass me and be able to continue. I have a... Oh, oh, good, good, good. If I was supposed to, uh, <laughs> uh, supposed to try to, to quote the famous speech from a movie, um, Independence Day, remember that one? No one remembers that, but um, no, I guess not. I guess William Churchill will be a better example. Yeah. We will fight in the... Oh, there is a cultured brother there. But the point I'm trying to make is that we, we know that men's words can be inspirational. Men's words can move us. Even the written word can move us. Um, if I was supposed to say to be, you would say, you know, to be or not to be? That is the question. Are the musings of philosophers like Rene Descartes, um, even if it's a different language, you may recognize it, cogito ergo sum, to think, I think, therefore, I am. Sabi is very cultured. <laughs> but we know that the words of men can be extremely inspirational. It can move us to action. It could bring us to tears. It could make us laugh. I think a, a contemporary example of this is our memes. Uh, we know we have brothers and sisters in, in the congregation who love, who love memes. <laughs> um, ultimately, though, um, they're not the, the standard for truth. They still fall short. As inspirational as the words of um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., not um, the one who, you know, not the, not the guy who hit the thing on the wall and said, no, I talk to the black guy. <laughs> Although we know his words are inspirational and they moved us, his words couldn't make things into reality. Even today, 
Um, some of the things he fought for, um, but the same people he fought for is, are being destroyed. So we know that men's words can be inspiration, can be powerful, but ultimately they don't make reality. In spite of what certain preachers would tell you about the word of faith movement, men's words are limit, or have a limit. They're not limitless like the words of God. They're not divinely powerful like the word of God. We need to be aware of this. Men's words are not the ground for reality, not the ground for truth. So as mentioned by our brother just now in the um, explanation of the, the law, which we, we are guilty of, many times we are more concerned with the words of men than the words of God. When it comes to our worldview and how we perceive reality, as opposed to relying upon the scriptures, we rely upon um, the so-called expert. Um, we are in the age of the therapeutic where there's an expert for everything under the sun, um, a doctorate for every particular thing. It's not to say that general revelation is not a beautiful thing and those people who have studied these things are to be ignored. But the point I'm trying to make is that ultimately speaking, the words of men are not the grounds for how we perceive reality. The words of men are not the thing that we're supposed to be firstly and, and initially inclined to seek out when we're trying to figure out a particular issue or problem or how we should think about a particular concept or reality. We should be desirous to approach the word, which is what we're going to get to later. Secondly, the words of men are subjective. Um, and I'm going to distinguish subjectivity from deceptiveness because not everything a man says that is subjective is necessarily deceptive. Some people like the color blue and they would say so, other people like the color green. There's nothing necessarily moral or immoral about that. That is a subjective thing. It is not objective reality, but that is fine. But oftentimes, it is not just a subjective thing that men say, like the issues of relativism when it comes to like, colors or, or types of food, but oftentimes they can be deceptive. And I think it is apt and it would make sense since this is about the word of God and taking the word as the word of God to quote a lot of scripture in this particular sermon so enjoy um, we're going to look at the deceptive aspect we're going to look at a few scriptures both as it pertains to false teachers and not to be arrogant and think that is outside of ourselves but to look inside and how we too can use words in a deceptive manner Second Peter 2 chapter 2 says but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and the destruction is not asleep. There are false teachers. People do twist reality. Whether it be from a secular perspective, whether it be secular philosophy or, or a misuse of general revelation and secular science, or even more importantly, when people twist special revelation, the scriptures themselves, men twist the word of God. We can be deceitful and deceived. Unfortunately, that has been a lot of the experiences that we have had within this nation and across the world, generally speaking. Um, it is very easy to find false teaching on the television. It's very easy to find false teaching around the corner from us. It's very easy to find false teaching, generally speaking. And we need to be aware of this. I think in our particular culture, because Barbados is not big on in our theological, you know, how we think of theology, we're not very big on exegesis or debating or apologetics. We're not really big on that. Um, you go to church that is close to you, and that's about it. It's not necessarily about the distinctions between theology and beliefs and conviction and so on. 
And we as believers at this church, although we're not supposed to be obnoxious fools, are to be aware of this for ourselves and to point this out to our brothers and sisters in Christ across the nation and for those who are not yet believers to warn them against the fact that everyone who says they're a Christian is not a Christian. Every proclamation of the so-called word is not word. We need to be discerning. And we need to beg and pray for others to discern. Now, not just to look at the outside, because um, we as Reformed people are often characterized as people who love to debate and to point out issues in other people's theology and problems. We ourselves need to be aware of our own sins, of the deceptiveness of our own tongues. When Christ spoke in Matthew 15, 18 to 19, he said, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that defiles a man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. Um, some, if not all, these sins, to one degree or the other, we are guilty of. So we need to be aware of our own words, of the things that we do speak. Are they governed by our own subjective feelings, desires, thoughts, opinions? Or when we speak, we don't speak idly, particularly when it's, we're trying to instruct someone about what they should and should not do. Is it that I just like the way that something should be done and thus I dogmatically tell somebody else to do it? I, because I don't like that particular way you spoke or did something, do I have a ground for it? As believers, we need to be always seeking out not our own desires, our own thoughts, particularly in correcting others, but we should be humble to recognize that our words are not the words of truth ultimately, but the word of God is. We are not exempt from the ability to be people who can slander, because our hearts, you know, we experience jealousy, insecurities, as every other man does. And we need to be aware of this as believers. We need to be conscious of it and don't take words lightly. Obviously, it's common sense, or we're told it's common sense, that we should think before we speak. Um, but I am guilty of not doing that oftentimes. So I know, and I can confess that as such. And I would implore you to not do that and to do the opposite, which is to think before you speak. And not think before you speak necessarily um, overly or the emphasis being on the responses of men, because even as we just read earlier in the chapters, um, the apostles weren't ultimately concerned about flattering men or pleasing men, but pleasing God. Obviously, tone matters, but the emphasis I'm trying to bring out at this point is truth matters. And we need to be concerned with that ultimately as believers, um, not to speak in such a fashion to avoid um, what sadly happens, particularly in this day and age, with every sense of truth is some sort of conflict or some sort of scandal to say something that is true in this culture to say a man is a man a woman a woman in this day and age is a scandal um, and it is funny but it is also sad and troubling um, we in Barbados have had to deal with a lot of that although it is coming um, I think recently we had a, a case a transgender person was um, suing because he thought he was fired for discrimination purposes, not because he was a bad employee. Um, and we know in the States and in Canada, for example, and in Europe, that is commonplace. So we as believers need to be aware of these things and we need to stand up for the truth of God's word and for our words not to be twisted to suit the culture. And just one more scripture to remind us of how our your tongues are in James 3, 8, popular one. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a reckless evil full of deadly poison. Again, just be aware of the power of the tongue and to use it wisely. Don't deceive people. Don't lie. 
Don't avoid the comfort that comes from speaking truth and love. Be bold and stand upon the word of God. Men can rely on eloquence and sophistry to persuade and entreat. But his words, as convincing as they may sound, are not the ground of truth. We're surrounded by a lot of charismatic people in the world, a lot of charismatic leaders, people who say folly, but because of how they say it, um, heads not in agreement quite easily, uh, almost without any effort, really. And we can be susceptible to that if it is that the person is on our side. We don't critically think about every person who's on our side saying anything. We say, oh, that, that's what that person said. You know, that's fine. Obviously, what they're saying has to be true without critically thinking about it. And the Bible commands us as believers to think critically. Um, even when we think about the, Berean, the Bereans that heard from an apostle, an apostle, <laughs> an apostle, but they were commended not for just bowing and saying, well, this apostle saying it so clearly, but they went back to the scriptures and they were commended for it. He, wouldn't, he, he wasn't arrogant and said, well, as apostles, so you should listen to me. And he commended them for being people who saw the scriptures, who looked in the scriptures to see if those things were so. So we see this, we see that men's words, although they have power, they can inspire, can move us. But ultimately they are weak and they don't have ultimate divine power. Men's words are subjective and oftentimes deceptive. And we need to be discerning people who can distinguish between the two. And what is the standard for distinguishing the two? God's word, which we're going to get to now. Firstly, the standard of truth. I'm going to quote a few scriptures and then get to explaining some of them. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 8. And I think we heard this oftentimes with Pastor Chris um, these past few Sundays. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. For the word of the Lord, Psalm 33, 4, is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And another very popular one, Timothy 3.13, 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. People go through their whole lives, historically speaking, and even now, seeking true knowledge. There are sages, gurus, and seekers of truth who speak about their journeys, their musings, their meditations, their out-of-body experiences where they seek out this evasive truth, this grip on reality, true knowledge. And modern skepticism is as such that we don't even believe that knowledge is attainable in itself, although that is a contradicting statement because you can't know, you can't know if you can't know that knowledge itself is attainable. Anyways, but the point I'm trying to make is that we are living in a day and age where everybody either has their own truth professors to be seekers of truth or don't believe that truth is attainable in the first place. We as believers who believe in revelation, 
are not human autonomous knowledge, but revelation from God, who, where we are enlightened and given information through God and given the capacity to understand. Even though because of the fall, we are flawed sometimes in our thinking and we can have logical fallacies, we still can attain knowledge, and God has given us said knowledge. We are, as human beings generally speaking, and sadly as even regenerate believers, and appreciative of what we have in the 66 books, and appreciative of the reality that if it is that we actually want to know something, something ultimate, something real, something that we don't have to question, we possess that. I often marvel at the fact that, particularly when it comes to prophecy and scripture, how clear and accurate it is. Even when we think about what we're experiencing in this day and age and how the scriptures describe the nature of man, biblical anthropology, and how you can see it so clearly in reality. There is literally nothing that the scripture has said in my experience, and I don't, it's not my own experience, but you get the point, or I don't think in anybody else's who submits to the word and doesn't express it in unrighteousness, can doubt. But yet, we in our own lives, in our own experiences, Oftentimes, the first inclination we have is not to go to the scriptures when it is that we're trying to figure out something. When we think of our own lives, when we have issues with our wives, husbands, children, money, work, pain, anything at all, what is it exactly are we inclined to do? In this particular political climate that we have in the world, generally speaking, who do we go to to discern what is right and what is wrong? Who to vote for, not to vote for, what to do? Is it that we look at the best-looking candidate, the more attractive person? What is it exactly that we go, how do we go about our lives? Again, I marvel at the fact that we possess the actual words of God. The actual words of God we have possessed in the written word. And it seems as if Christendom... In, at least in Christendom, the general professing world, does not rely upon it. The infallibility of the word, the inerrancy of the word, the authority of the word is being questioned across Christendom. And it is a marvel to look at. By what standard do we live as believers? We brothers and sisters need to rejoice at the fact that we can know God, know truth, know reality. We don't have to go through life questioning whether or not the past 10 years when it comes to gravity and reality is going to be like the next two seconds. Because secular atheism doesn't have that ability. They don't know if tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. They can't. They have no wrong to, logically speaking. Now obviously, sadly, most atheistic people don't think through their worldview, sadly. So they think they can. But for the ones who do think through these things, they admit themselves, they don't have a wrong to believe that tomorrow's gonna to be like today. They have no room for it. But yet we as believers walk and breathe and act oftentimes as if we don't possess the word of God that gives us all we need for righteousness. The divine word is powerful. I think there are a few obvious examples of the word of God being powerful. Ex nihilo, speaking things into existence in the first place. God's word created all that is and will ever be. A second powerful example of the power of God in his word is the recreation of man's heart. Some say 
that that is even a greater demonstration of the power because speaking at Nizolo is speaking things from nothing, whereas also the corrupt, hard hearts of men, God can make soft, regenerate people. People who were once suppressors of truth, haters of God, and the people who love God, who are soft and consciences are pricked by our sin, who desire to repent from it. God's word is indeed powerful. Although we're not going to go through it in detail today, one of the ways in which we see this is mentioned in the very scripture itself that we just read right after that. It spoke about one of the evidences of how it worked out that they received the word as from God and not from men. How they spoke about how they were imitators of the churches of God in Christ. How they suffered the same things as their own countrymen. Because the Thessalonian church took the word as it was from God, because they were moved by it as such, because of the gospel who generated them, and then they're con- being convinced of the authority of it, being convinced of the truthness, the truthfulness of it, they could have endured suffering. Um, bless God in our contacts, besides somebody telling us something that we don't like or hurt our feelings on Facebook, um, in our contacts, we don't currently suffer harsh persecution. But when it comes to our interactions daily, and ultimately if we live long enough to suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel, will our response be the same? Are we convinced today to the degree that if we were to be opposed aggressively by the Barbadian government or by any person at all, would we be able to stand by the word and for the word of God? Is the powerful word of God that we sing, that we hopefully listen to and not fall asleep with when it's being preached that we hopefully in our own private time read are we convinced of it are we convicted by it but again the word in itself is powerful and it facilitates the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit although we know and this is something I want to point out I think the pastor points out oftentimes um, the word of God is powerful and the Holy Spirit is operative in the Word to regenerate hearts and sanctify and to, re- and to renew minds. But just reading it without prayerfully imbibing it is, is going to be of little use to you. Um, we need to be prayerfully imbibing the Word of God. We need to be on our knees asking God to illuminate the Word to our minds. Although we believe in the perspicuity of the Word, which is the clarity of the Word, the simplicity of the Word. Um, we still need to be humble servants who rightly divide it and ask for God's enlightenment to understand it. A second note uh, that we can think about as believers, uh, as a point of application, as we said before, we as believers are given the mandate by the scriptures to use the word of God to rip down to destroy and to combat all falsehoods. The word of God is powerful enough um, that it does do such. Again, I marvel at the fact that when I interact with unbelievers or when you see others interact with unbelievers who are um, by believing people who can explain the scriptures properly, I don't often ever receive I can't think of a time where I explain something with an honest person. Because obviously dishonest people just ignore it. Just say la 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 la. With an honest person, I can't, I have, I've never ever experienced explaining something 
from the scriptures correctly and them having any meaningful response to it. For the most part, I get, well, okay. <laughs> okay, I ain't care. Some honest atheists I've interacted with say, well, that might be true, but I don't care. So they admit that it is irrefutable, but they still deny it. But the word of God is powerful and it can do such. It can shut the mouths of those who oppose. Something else that is relevant to this church and to all believers is the power of the word of God as it pertains to evangelism. And again, this is a synergistic thing in the sense that we have a role in it. How else would they have faith except they hear from the word of God? And how else would they hear from the word of God except they're sent and we know the scriptures. So we have a mandate as well to preach the word of God. It's not going to preach itself. We as believers have to get up um, of our behinds at work, at home, in this community itself, which we've been attempting to do, but we can do more, to preach the word of God unashamed. Because it does do something. It would be a glorious thing. We are grateful to God. And as I speak to the pastor, and he went at prayer meeting sometimes, where it is a blessed thing that the church has increased since it began. I think it began like 17 people. Now we have like 20-something. But most of which, besides one, bless God, Ash, bless God, um, were people who were believers before and just came to healthier contacts, which is great. We don't discourage it, obviously. We want people to come to healthier contacts. But wouldn't it be great if, as we go into the community, we could see the work of God operative in regenerating more people? Wouldn't it encourage us and, and move our hearts to... Because we as believers, as much as we talk, do forget. We do forget. We do forget the power of God in salvation. We say eloquently, I say eloquently, we can speak nice, but our hearts sometimes are not as, convic- as convinced as our words are that the word of God is powerful. Wouldn't it be an encouragement to this church if, because of our efforts to spread the gospel as far and wide from this particular point of this community, we saw people from around here who had nothing to do with Christ before come to know Jesus Christ. I particularly would be encouraged by that. I think we'd be encouraged by it as well. And I want us as a church to Prayfully do so. And some encouraging words, well, I hope those are encouraging words, but we are two years in, right? I think we're about two years in now. And um, for me personally, I have seen growth in many of you. And I hope. It's not friends, and it is because we are taking and receiving the word as it is from God. I hope that as we come here Sunday by Sunday, hearing the word exposited, and not just shouted out, or this fancy inflection or flattering words, but because we are serious about becoming more Christ-like, because we are serious about communing with God and loving Him, that the reason why we are changing, our minds are being renewed, Hopefully by God's grace, our families are becoming healthier, are being challenged to be. Our children, our finances are becoming more and more in alignment with what the scripture says it should be the priority of and how they're supposed to be prioritized. But I personally encourage, and I just want to encourage us to continue on this trajectory. Um, by God's grace, there have been no scandals. Um, if there have been beefs, small. <laughs> I'm just saying to you guys that we need to continue doing what we're doing in making the scriptures central. We don't want to become a, a seeker-sensitive church. We don't want to become the angry people church, the anything church. We want to be a people of the world, the people of Christ. I'm thankful to God that we have the opportunity in 
what was, what was once a place of drought to be in a context where we can hear the word exposed to the Son of His Son. Pray for the men that do so, by the way. For the pastor, for the aspiring deacon, and for the other guys who have the responsibility to come before the pulpit. And again, appreciate what you guys have. When I speak to, and I guess you would experience this sometimes as well, um, some of my colleagues at work, and we discuss what they experience in their own congregations, um, I'm often heartbroken at it. We have a privilege to be under not just people who open the 66 books, but who desire to really divide it, to be careful with it, and by God's grace to live in it and to live by it. So although this was supposed to be um, the song that we sung before the scriptures, we can reflect upon and meditate upon the words that we're going to sing now um, to glorify God. Speak, O Lord. Um, I think it is number 131 in our hymnals. As we think about what we just heard, as we think about and meditate upon how we're supposed to view the word of God, the authority, the power it has, how we as believers are supposed to be inclined to approach it first for any issue, for any problem. Not our own subjective desires, not experts in the world, but what God has said. And by God's grace, continue to enjoy it and live by, by His grace. <laughs>